What's up, Banana Bunch? You know what time it is? Another episode of the Jungle Gyms podcast. Do you all want Banana Bunch shirts? I feel like we need Banana Bunch shirts. Maybe stickers? I don't know. What kind of merch do you all even like? Anyway, all right, I'm already distracted. I got a real banger of an episode for you this week. I got to sit down with Mike from Root House Aquaponics, and he's going to blow our collective minds with how he nearly single-handedly built an entire aquaponics farm with fresh tilapia and some of the most picturesque and delicious greens that you've ever seen. It's seriously incredible. I cannot wait for you to meet him. Then our sommelier, Michael B., joins me again to talk about some upcoming wine events here in the jungle and to briefly nerd out with me about cars and Formula One racing for a minute. He's a man of many talents and interests, and I think that uncovering these kinds of things, especially when they're your coworkers, it's one of the coolest parts of the show. Do you all like when that happens? Or do you want a way more rigid show? I personally vote the former, but you know what? I'm not just doing this for me. I'm doing it for us, the royal we. If you've recently washed your hands, we can all hold hands and listen together, okay? It's a simple, simple process. Speaking of listening together, you know what I'm about to say. This is the part of the show where I ask you to hit me with some of those juicy reviews. They are coming in quite nicely, and of course, I am so appreciative of everyone who's been putting in reviews. Like I always say, not just downloads, but reviews are key to our show's success. And while as of this moment that I've recorded this bit, we're actually the number 55 food podcast in the world. But I want to be the number one food podcast in the world. You can now review these shows on Apple Podcasts and now on Spotify as well. And I think that's awesome. Here, let me read another review that just came in this last week so that you know how easy it is. This one comes in from Tricky29 and reads, Really glad I tuned into this before the end of 2021 and will definitely be tuning in in 2022. Totally enjoyed the live music. Keep up the on-the-spot customer stories. The customers keep the jungle alive. Also, happy to learn about the Discovery Program. We'll be watching for more information about that in the future. Thanks, Mark. Welcome to Fairfield. You know what, Tricky29? Thank you. I'm actually liking Fairfield more and more the more time I spend here. I'd actually go so far as to really rename it Goodfield even. But now that I think about it, I don't think there's like a lot of fields here either. So I guess we can just like workshop the second half later. But again, thanks, Tricky29. I appreciate your help. And you know what, everyone else? It is just that easy to support the show. And guess what? It's totally free, too. Actually, imagine a world where you had to pay to review something. I think that world sucks. Now, before we get into the chats this week, I wanted to talk about a few things here at The Jungle. First, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know I've said this before, but we're hiring. I'm on the internet all the time. I see you all clamoring for work. So, you know what? Why don't you come join the family with me here? Now, to be clear, I'm not actually hiring anyone for the podcast yet or anything like that, but the rest of the store would love your help. I actually want to give a quick shout out to my friend Eric, who took advantage of this recently and hopefully will be a part of the family here soon. So Eric, thanks for applying. Oh, I can't believe I forgot to mention this a few weeks back, but if you're an avid listener of the show, which... <laughs> You, you should be by now. I interviewed Lee, who runs our cooking school here. And actually, 
This is the part I didn't tell you. Shortly after that, I actually got to take one of our cooking classes, and it was so much fun. And I'm sure you can guess that in general, I have fun doing everything. Uh, but this is a great time. It was technically a date night class, and since I was just filling an empty slot, I got paired up with someone who was also there alone. And get this, he produces a podcast for someone else. Uh, it was a hilarious coincidence. I thought that was really fun, actually. We got to make these delicious filet mignon medallions with a red wine reduction and a creamy potato side. And really, the best part to me was that we baked a cake that I got to take home. Uh, and you can imagine it did not last very long because it turns out I'm great at baking cakes. Uh, I'm glad I found out here. Uh, I honestly, I feel like this cooking school is maybe the ultimate in date night technology. Should I do a giveaway for this? Do you think that's a thing? Maybe, uh, would you all be into a contest? Maybe you win a cooking school quote date uh, and I'm doing that in quotes so it doesn't sound weird, uh, but with me. If you like this idea at all or any of the other questions that I've asked so far in this episode, I need you to put it in writing for me, okay? So you can hit me up on my socials or you can send me an email at podcast at junglegyms.com or you know what? You can always leave a voicemail on my hotline and that's country code 1-513-674-6855. Okay, cool. So before I just let Mike take it away, I want you to go ahead right now. You can pause if you need to, if you're not very fast on your devices, but go to roothouseaqua.com and take a look at their farm and their products. Now, you can also just come check it out in the store. Of course, I'd love to see you, uh, but this is a super quick and easy way to look at it while I'm half rambling for a second leading into this portion of the podcast. This is actually kind of a secret tip for all of you. Pay attention to comedies that you like in particular. If there's a sight gag going on, you'll notice that the dialogue usually changes to something kind of rambly like this, or at least something totally inconsequential so that you can actually see the joke happening while you still feel like you're actually paying attention to what's going on. Pretty cool, right? Yeah, I'll peel back the curtain every so often. Anyway, it's so cool to me to be a part of Jungle Gyms because we're kind of like on the bleeding edge of food and food technology. And because we're doing this stuff, we invite you all, and that's the uh, audience listening, and in turn our customers, to come be a part of that. You all get to see this stuff firsthand before anyone else in any other store. And you know what? I just think that's delightful. All right. Okay. You've now had plenty of time to look at RoothouseAqua.com. So let me introduce you to Mike, the brains of the operation at Roothouse Aquaponics. And those are my words, not his. Mike, how we doing today from Roothouse Aquaponics? Did I say it right? You did. <laughs> it's a tough pronunciation. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like root. <laughs> Who's ever heard of one of those? Things welcome. are good. Yeah. Welcome to the studio. Dude. Happy this to is be exciting. here. Yeah. Happy to be here. Thank you. Okay. So I pride myself on being like the dumb person for the audience. And my whole thing lately is like, I'll ask the questions that no one else is willing to ask <laughs> because they're afraid. Um, so before we even dive into who you all are, what does the word aquaponics mean? I'm going to pretend like I've never been to a fish concert before. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so aquaponics is the combination of aquaculture and hydroponics. So farm raising fish and soilless growing. Okay. Um, so a lot of people have heard of hydroponics and we often get confused with that. But sure. since we raise fish in our system, 
their their purpose is to provide uh, mainly their waste for full nutrient source for the whole system. All the plants that are growing can live off of their waste. Um, but of course, we also raise our fish with a really high quality diet, really really premium input. Um, so we actually end up eating the fish too and selling those. That's amazing. Okay, so yeah, I guess tell me the root house aquaponics story. How did this start? You know. Oh man. Um, I was in uh, Nashville for a number of years after college, went to music school up at University of Michigan. Oh, cool. Um, and so found my way down to the entertainment world. And after uh, a couple of years, started kind of weighing on me. Um, but that whole time and, and well before that, I had been gardening, raising fish in an aquarium, you know, growing plants outside in soil, uh, raising fish from a young age, all separate. Um, then started getting interested in like hydroponics, soilless, did a, you know, number of DIY systems over the years. Um, and then I trying to figure out what I was going to do for the next, you know, big chunk of my life. Um, came across back across aquaponics. And so I tied a hydroponic system that I had running, uh, up to an aquarium, went out, caught some bluegill, brought them back started my first aquaponic system, um, just started doing research and, and trying to figure out, you know, what was going on, how it works. And uh, that kind of l- really kind of started me to take it a little more seriously. Got some education, um, did, you know, a couple small classes, weekend classes and stuff with some of the aquaponic authorities yeah. in, the, in the country. And um, kind of decided at that point that it was it was the right thing, the right time to kind of take a leap and take a risk and follow a passion. And I like to think of myself as a passion wrangler, so I'm really glad that you're here to share it with me today. Thank you. I, you know, I've walked by the displays before, and I know we were joking a little bit about this off air, but I mean, I've never seen anything quite like what you've got set up here. Thank you. You know, it, it's unbelievable. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the... About like the tank setup and everything. In- yeah, yeah. So, um, first approached your produce guys up here. Actually, Eastgate, the Eastgate store is a lot closer to the farm. Oh, okay. And I live on the farm, so um, went through Eastgate a couple times, trying to get attention, trying to you know show what we had going on, and um, it was tough. It was a tough sell because it was beginning of the pandemic. Oh yeah. Just right. You know, that's right. Perfect when we started. Timing, right. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I couldn't have planned it better. And so, uh, so we, we ended up finding, you know, I ended up finding my way up here thinking, you know, go to jungles home base, you yeah. know, maybe, maybe I'll get a different answer. And, you know, ran into Paul first then AJ and they put me through the ringer really, really made it seem, uh, you know, they just put us to the test, Sure, you know, as they should, you guys run like, you know, one of the most beautiful produce departments in the, in the uh, area here. So, um, you know, really gave it my best and got some of our products in here to give it a try. Um, there's nothing else like it in here in terms of, of the lettuce. So uh, a- after a little while, we, you know, tried this, tried that, different locations, different packaging options, um, and eventually got the permission and the go-ahead to do a living lettuce display. I love it. So I custom-fabbed a, a little PVC living lettuce display 
with the intent to hopefully get permission to reroute the misting system. Yeah. So the so the roots hang through the display and the oh. misters are underneath and yeah. and get water every time the wet wall turns on. Um, so it just helps prolong our shelf life while it's on display, uh, out of refrigeration. So it's living lettuce. The, the roots are still on, um, you know, over two weeks of a, of a shelf life on our head lettuce. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how we got to that point of, of, you know, really trying to figure out how to lift up, you know, the, our product how we do it different, why it is already different, but how can we display that differently? Right. How can we play into, you know, the fact that it is local, fresh, direct farm delivery, like, I mean, just kind of the best it can be. Um, so it was really awesome to be able to come up with this idea. And I've built three different displays for each stores, different iterations, kind of going along the way and making little improvements and that's really cool um and you're custom building them yourself right yeah, yeah. that's even cooler i love how involved you are in the entire process again sort of a rare thing in some of these you know brands that you get to talk to right and you know uh, i was late today because i had to drop off fish at the seafood department <laughs> oh that's awesome no, totally worthwhile too well so you talk about the living lettuce display and then we've got so obviously we've got the living lettuce display then, and then the the fish tanks too. I mean, again, I haven't ever seen a live fish display in a store this way. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I, and I I'm a, a little new here still, but I've traveled around the country. I've eaten a right. lot of seafood, so it's right. in, I mean, the best kind of insanity. But right. walking in and seeing a display like that, mm-hmm. it's it's crazy. I mean, what what's talk to me a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, you know, for. for There was a realization at at one point that, hey, maybe we could maybe we could deliver live fish. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's not that opportunity in every city in the country. Yeah. Uh, Especially with a retailer like Jungle Gyms, who, you know, just is is so unique. And um, so approaching that was like it couldn't have been a better fit for for having our lettuce, you know, 50 feet away from the fish that actually grew it. You know, there's some people involved there too, but I'm sure uh, <laughs> a little <laughs> a bit of, of handshakes, wheeling and dealing. <laughs> yeah. I believe the expression is, but the fish do all of it. Yeah. No, I'm joking. Right. No, um, I mean, why not? But, they seem but, <laughs> great PR people, <laughs> <laughs> but we have a little character on the fish tank on our sign that says, you know, we're lettuce farmers because really that's sets us apart. And it starts there with our product lasting longer, tasting better and um, just being different. Um, so, we commonly hear it at markets and from our retail shoppers, friends, family, you know, I, I can't buy a grocery store lettuce anymore. And in the beginning that was true, but now it's a little ironic because we do sell in grocery stores. Sure. But, um, but there's a clear, I, I started to make this joke before we started. And as I mentioned, uh, Hey, I'm a, I'm a bit of a video gamer from time to time all the time. Uh, and I've been playing this game <laughs> called Stardew Valley. That's like a farming simulator. It's like mm-hmm. a cute little thing. But when you, I mean, you can see on the display too, because I walked by, I was taking pictures and then knowing that you brought some in. I mean, this is like artistic level. <laughs> it's crazy to me. I mean, it looks like video game lettuce, right? Where where some artist has gone through and painstakingly gone, what is the most perfect looking piece of produce you could imagine? Thank and you. you just brought it into me in a box. Thank you. 
It's yeah, amazing. I mean, I mean, legitimately amazing. I, and for those of you listening, I'll, I'll post pictures on social so you can see. But it is no exaggeration. That's what this looks like here. Thank you. I mean, it, it, that is our goal. Um, when we started, it it's really was about holding the highest standard for anything that goes out of our door, um, no matter who the customer is. Yeah. And we ended up, you know, through our trials, through figuring out, how to do this better and better and better every day. Mm -hmm. um, we've donated a fair amount of lettuce. and uh, But but the best part is none of it's gone to waste. Right. Um, there's a couple great uh, nonprofits in town um, who we've partnered with at this point to, yeah. to make sure nothing goes to waste. But that's uh, besides the point that if, if we can do this for every head of lettuce, I don't know why we shouldn't grow more. Oh, absolutely. And I mean... Again, I know it sounds so silly for me to keep sitting here like, this is beautiful. But the whole time, it's really kind of hard to keep your eyes off of it. Well, uh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I mean it truly. It's, it's, hard, uh, it's hard to really get a full grasp of how we do it. Mm -hmm. um, but to see the end product really makes people want yeah. to see how the heck we do this. Yeah. Um, well, I'd, I, love, I'd love for you to come out and see the greenhouse. That sometime. sounds like the next episode that we do yeah. together. Then I'd be way into that. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Absolutely. So you had mentioned earlier that you're using uh, like the fish waste to fertilize for this, correct? Right. And then is, does this go back to the, I, and I, this is me being like, I don't know what fish <laughs> eat, uh, but does this, I mean, is it like a full cycle? So we don't, we don't grow any fish food. Okay. Um, it's, it's absolutely done, doable, possible. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, for, for running a very clean food safe uh, system and facility, we really want to make sure our inputs stay consistent um, and also are just clean. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of awesome backyard aquaponic uh, options for black soldier fly larvae and red wigglers and, you know, growing duckweed and, and you know, we, we raise tilapia. So okay. they're omnivorous. You can feed oh. them vegetables, uh, other fish. Interesting. But so that they can be healthy with a full plant-based diet or a full fish-based uh, diet. That's amazing. I had um, no idea. I mean, literally. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, that's actually where they get a lot of their um, their negative view. You know, they're not, really? they're not bottom feeders. They're not trash fish. They, unfortunately, are able to be taken, of advan taken advantage of. Right. Um, commercially, they're taken advantage of. They're, they're, um, they're simply, uh, you know, grown in kind of the worst way because they can survive it. Right. And when you get to cutting as many corners as you can for profit, um, you end up with something that has 90% of our country, maybe more, thinking that tilapia is just not a good fish to eat. Yeah. Um, but so we've kind of flipped that on its head. Um, we feed them a non-GMO diet with no terrestrial animal byproducts in their feed, which is pretty common in commercial feed with bone meal and chicken meal and all these, you know, byproducts from warm-blooded animals. Um, and, you know, a lot of GMO ingredients from soy and corn. And um, we have a, a feed that uh, not many people use. It's pretty pricey. Yeah. Um, but I've kind of just held, held on to that since we started because I knew, I was hoping it would, you know, make a difference somewhere. I knew it was going to be a very clean, high quality input. And because fish feed is almost our main input, mm -hmm. 
why wouldn't we make it the best it can be? Yeah. And the best that's available to us. So um, through that little journey on, on our fish and realizing what we were doing, what we could do with using these inputs, um, we now have and raise a sashimi grade tilapia. That's amazing. And we've had a couple of restaurants around town um, do crudos, ceviches, just straight Ooh, sashimi. Yeah. Um, and you'll see it on a menu here and there at a, at a sushi restaurant, but it's not common. It's not people's first choice. When a trusted chef or restaurant puts it on the menu, whether they call it tilapia or not, nobody bats an eye. And then they find out maybe that it was tilapia and they're just like, really? I thought that was a trash fish. Right. You know, and so it's been, you know, an uphill battle, but certainly, uh, you know, satisfying to change people's minds one by one. I bet. Well, you know, we use the, um, we have the subtitle slogan. I forget how I want to actually call it, but I breaking the food chain. Okay. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. something I get really excited about talking with people like yourself is that a, I look at this not just to educate me. I mean, that's really, if I'm being honest, that's really the reason I do this. <laughs> but no, it, you know, we get an opportunity to educate the consumer a mm -hmm. little bit. And it's just, it's so fascinating to me to think about these things that, you know, so I recently also talked to Ross and seafood and learning mm -hmm. about the, and, and again, I've been really curious about the world of seafood a little bit, yeah. but it really, it comes into every aspect of food where so many of these big corporations are, you know, I don't, oh, I, I'll say they're like cutting corners a little bit. You know, they want to look at the end of the day. It's, it's less about someone's passion to do it and more about like, can we get this into X amount of stores and mm -hmm. X amount of time at the lowest price possible? Right. And that is absolutely going to affect what you're making and what you're selling. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that through shows like this one and just sort of through what I feel is happening on like a cultural or at least in the public consciousness is that we are kind of starting to pay attention to what we're eating in mm -hmm. a better way. Mm -hmm. And I find that refreshing. Yeah. And so it's great to me to hear stuff like, yeah, because I've heard forever, like, oh, yeah, tilapia, eye roll. You know, but mm -hmm. then knowing that you're like, oh, no, this is like people who care about what I eat and you can taste a quality difference. You know, again, right. yeah, I, I'm looking at the, the lettuce here and I'm like, you can see that you gave a shit about making this. You know what I mean? Like right. the tilapia did too. Yeah, right. No, they, ah. <laughs> <laughs> which entirely doesn't affect the flavor. <laughs> that was like, not I, fishy quite, I, I posted about it on Facebook and someone's like, so they use the fish waste. Does that affect the flavor? I'm like, come on now. So I've had that question multiple times <laughs> and it's really hard for me to not laugh. Yeah. But mostly at farmer's markets and it's, you know, it's a logical question, but when you pose it back to somebody like, yeah. well, does your lettuce right now taste like A through Z? Right. And those different animals exactly. and those warm-blooded pathogen-rich animals. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, what did you think other stuff was grown in? Like it's, right. it's everywhere. Just right. accept it now and breathe it in, you know, consider <laughs> yeah. it whatever. Yeah. That's so silly. That's why they tell you wash your stuff, Joe. Okay. You know? Yeah. Well, and <laughs> it's, it's uh, an interesting topic, but washing lettuce. Um, we can't tell anybody not to wash our lettuce, because mm -hmm. um, we don't pre-wash it. Okay. But I don't wash anything that I eat out of our greenhouse, and many of our customers don't. Uh, we don't use herbicides or pesticides. We don't use any chemical uh, fertilizers, um, and we use good agriculture practices. So always beard nets, hair nets, gloves. Um, it's just, I mean, as you're looking at it as you were before, too, is there's, n there's no blemish, there's no dirt because we're soilless. 
um, there's really nothing to wash off. Right. It makes a lot of people feel a lot better about anything they're eating. Of course. And I encourage that for sure. But um, personally, you know, when people ask, do I need to wash this? I can't tell you not to, but I don't. Right. Would there be any detriment to washing it? You know, it, sometimes um, it's true that sometimes hydroponically grown, you know, soilless or aquaponically grown lettuces um, are a little more tender. So washing it and, you know, beating it up like you do something out of Arizona or California. Right. Out it, of a plastic bag. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Where you throw away half of the outside. Oh, yeah. But um, there's really no detriment as long as you do it as you're eating. You know, sure. if you're just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take this stuff, wash it and try to store it for a week or two. Yeah. You know, you get two weeks on the route, um, at least, and then you, you know, kind of wash it as you go if you oh, want to. Cool. No, that's awesome. Yeah. What kind of challenges do you run into? I mean, you know, I'm sure most of us have either seen something grow in the ground in a traditional manner or have tried themselves mm -hmm. and you can get an idea of what that's, uh, you know, what kind of problems could arise there, but like what kind of stuff, like what do you guys run into on a problematic end that you have to, you know, I don't know, adjust for? In terms of growing? Just in terms of growing, yes, yeah. please. Um, you know, controlled environment agriculture is is not perfect. Uh, the more control you have, the more control you need to maintain. Um, so one of the things, you know, probably the most challenging season for us since we grow year-round is the winter, mm -hmm. um, dealing with high humidity, um, as well as, um, you know, just not a lot of light. So we grow in a greenhouse. We use as much natural light as we can because awesome. we, we don't want to be running artificial light um, like a lot of hydroponic farms do. Right. Um, so I've never been to a fish concert. <laughs> <laughs> Some artificial lights at fish concerts. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it ends up being kind of light intensity and humidity issues um, as well as some pests. Um, I was, that was a big part. I was curious about how that all worked out. I assume it'd be less than like a traditional agricultural setup, right? Less. Um, however, sometimes in controlled ag, you know, if something gets in, it can mm -hmm. really establish itself well. Interesting. Because mother nature is not there to provide the checks and balances. Oh. Because a lot of times, you know, those predatory bugs, may not be able to fit through that insect netting, but the, uh, the pest can. Um, oh. So we use um, biological controls. Mm -hmm. um, so either bacterial or fungal sprays. Um, mainly we use uh, beneficial insects. Nice. So we release good bugs to fight the bad bugs. That's awesome. So I was reading or learning about that when talking about the seafood thing, how that's like helped a lot of fish practice too, where they're just like, yeah, we could just reintroduce mother nature again, yes. you know? Yeah. And then kind of just add our control aspect to be like, okay, these work really well here. Mm -hmm. I find that so fascinating. It is. It's, there's a, there's a lot of tech to still be involved with like the most natural way to grow food. Yeah. You know, it can just make it in some cases more natural. Um, we really pride ourselves on doing it as naturally as possible. We use 100% rainwater that we collect off our roof. Uh, we purify that and, and pump it right into the greenhouse. Um, we use non-GMO seeds, mm -hmm. um, organic seeds when they're available. Um, but 
uh, you know, we're out in the country. We're not in a downtown urban area in concrete with forced air and artificial lighting and (laughs) stacks and stacks and racks and robots. And, you know, um, it's just a different way to produce food versus the way we like to think about what we do is we, we really farm food. Yeah. Um, You know, it's still a, a huge human element involved in with what we do. We don't have a lot of automation. We don't have um, certain things because that, you know, you lose intimacy with the product. Yeah. And um, I just kind of view it as cutting corners. Now, there, there will be solutions in the future, I hope, for, um, you know, making some of our practices more efficient. Um, but, you know, the, the trick is going to be without losing that intimate or that intimacy right. with the, the process and the product. Um, so, you know, automated fish feeding, you know, automated pH control, you know, there's a lot of little things that can save a lot of time, but what's the downside? Absolutely. There's definitely a downside. And I feel Um, like there's probably certain areas you could do some where you're like, okay, maybe automation's okay here without causing mm -hmm. a huge detriment to what we're doing. But at the same time, other areas, yeah, you, I love that personal approach. Thank you. Yeah. I I think it, it makes, it makes a big difference. Um, there's a lot of different ways that touches our, our whole process from starting a seed to feeding the fish all the way through, you know, any one of our team talking to a customer at the farmer's market or, or in retail when we, when we get to bump into people. Um, it really makes a difference. Um, and people recognize that. Oh, yeah. Again, visually, I, I, taste-wise, I mean, I'm at, I, I say this all the time, but and I always feel a little corny saying it, but I'm like, you really kind of can taste the love in things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like intent is, has a flavor, and it's good. Absolutely. And if placebo is at play there, it always will be. Well, think about how many people <laughs> really don't pay attention to that stuff, though. You know what I mean? Yep. And then you get those honest reviews from somebody who's like, oh, I had no idea that this was grown a few minutes from the house, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You know, the same audience is like, what does farm to table even mean, right? right. Besides being a buzz term. Well, but, and oh, sorry. Well, it, it's it's interesting how the pandemic has really pushed that to the front of people's minds. You know, we saw huge interruptions in our food supply. Yeah, and um, it was it was ugly there for a little while. Yeah, but I think a lot of people, you know, gave it a second thought, maybe a third thought on, you know, where does this come from? Why isn't it in the store every day of the week when I need it yeah. anymore? And you know, only good can come from that. So uh, we've we've certainly seen a lot more focus and a lot more um, attention to where we are, yeah, where we do it, how we do it, um, and we're you know brand new. You know, February twenty twenty. It's amazing. I took some of my first sales meetings, getting ready to you know step into March, and with you know just a brand new business, still learning so much about the industry, about the growing, about the selling, and uh, boom, pandemic. So <laughs> I feel so bad. I'm sorry to like, no, you know, I, it's not like a mean laugh, but I'm just no, like, oh, of course, you know. No, you can, we're laughing together on right. that one. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it, it was challenging. Um, I don't think we'd be where we are today if we didn't have to really f- be creative and work through those challenges. Um, so I, you know, I, I try as much as I can be a glass half full guy, but um, truly 
at the, you know, we're still not out of it, but um, truly that, you know, the thickest, toughest part of it, you know, uh, it's just hard to, hard to say where we'd be without it. Yeah. Not giving it any credit. No, of course. (laughs) Well, it's that whole thing of like adversity tends to breed creativity Mm -hmm. and then often creativity breeds like new solutions to things. Right. And we change. And that's why to me, what you're doing, you know, I think about stuff like global warming and I'm sure that's affected traditional farming, Mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff like that. Absolutely. And now I'm sitting here thinking like, it sounds like a setup like yours is somewhat future proof, or at least, you know, I mean, as much as it can be by controlling temps and growing and stuff like that. Um, something I was thinking about what you were talking about it is we talked a little bit about artificial lighting. Mm-hmm. What's so, you know, is, are you going, you know, with all natural lighting purely out of a, I want to do this naturally, or is there some like drawback to using artificial light? Uh, mainly the expense. Okay. I mean, uh, but, but also, yeah, product quality, flavor, cool. color, um, you know, efficiency of growth, you know, the, the different shapes that you can promote with different types of light and frequency and um, flavors, colors, all of it. It, it It's a very, um, very big market nowadays, especially with certain uh, smokable products that are being grown across our country now. Right. You know, lots of money and... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just <laughs> laughing. I'm like, I don't know what those are. I still am pretending I don't know no. what those are. But you, you're so right, though. I mean... <laughs> I feel like in a weird way that had to be one of those first steps to kind of really make people rethink that, you know, you know, there's, there's a lot of interesting examples about how that crop has changed the farming industry, right. In terms of, you know, kind of more technical driven stuff, but you know, led lights wouldn't be where they are. If people hadn't been grown in their bases for the last 20, 30, 50 years, whatever. Or or just the pure margins of the crop. So it's it's been interesting because we certainly have a backseat to those growers. Yeah. And, you know, any greenhouse builder, you know, indoor growing greenhouse company, they they want that business. Yeah. And so sometimes we, as, you know, food farmers, get the short end of the stick. Kind of funny how that works, right? It was like this weird gray area where we're not even saying what the item is, right? Because right. like that's still where we are culturally, exactly, and that, and that's fine. Uh, and it's it's interesting to me because it, it feels like that's kind of where the cutting edge of a lot of the tech and thought mm-hmm. process went. Because again, it was adversity, right? Right. It, this wasn't supposed to be happening. So then there was like a whole group of people who were like, "All right, so we can't do this, huh? How are we gonna do it?" <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? and so so to answer your question, that. There, there is a point of pride, but also a, a point of, um, you know, integrity and quality that you get from the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't grow year round and keep production levels up with winter sunlight. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's kind of the best of both worlds. We do it as much as we can with, with the sun. I mean, sometimes in January, it'll be sunny in the entire day. And, um, you know, the greenhouse will be venting because it's so hot in there. Wow. And it might be 20 degrees outside. Yeah. And we'll have to run our lights minimal in the morning and in the evening, just a couple hours. And, uh, you know, to, to maintain this quality and, and keep this product on the shelf, um, it's worth it. Yeah. And there's really no drawback other than the expense. And, sure. uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to learn more about, uh, LED. Right now we're using, uh, um, gosh, I just blanked. 
High intensity. Oh, okay. You know, just regular bulbs. Yeah. Metal halide. Um, just the, you know, the old school lighting. And it works great, but you got to replace the bulbs every year. Right. You know, there's, there's life hours sucking every time you turn those bulbs on, right. every time they warm up. Um, Everybody takes a deep breath when you flip the switch. Like. Yeah. Like, please. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, uh, you can't do as much with them either just because of how they operate. Whereas LEDs, it's almost like a, an open canvas. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's crazy to think, by the way, how much LED technology has changed since even, I mean, when I think about like early 2000s. Mm-hmm. I, I, this is, I hate to keep bringing up game references, but I remember when the PlayStation 2 first came out. Mm-hmm. It was like the first time I'd ever seen a blue LED in real life. Yeah. And I remember it was like the talk of the school. We're like, you guys see the blue LED on this? <laughs> it kind of blew our minds, right? Now, like everything's moving to LED. Yeah. You know what I mean? All the lighting in here is LED based. Right. It's crazy. And it's just interesting to see how that, again, it's weird where the tech, you know, where that push is to make it evolve. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's certainly not for the leafy greens growers. Yeah. However, all of that applies to us directly. So we can still, you know, fine-tune diodes and 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 figure out how to, you know, get a lot more out of a little less. Yeah, that's really cool. Um so I'm hoping to replace our lights at some point here in the next year or so. Mm-hmm. Um I'm excited for that excited to see what else we can do and how yeah. much more you know fine-tuned we can get because i would assume you'd have a ton more control over that than you would over like a traditional uh, like you said a metal, metal halide style. absolutely yeah absolutely i mean to, huh. to intensity to you know putting a light sensor out in the greenhouse that automates the system itself saying oh a cloud comes over for 20 minutes well we're going to go to 40 percent intensity right and you know just making sure those plants get you know, a certain amount of light in every 24 hour period. That's amazing. So this is, yeah, this is the future. To, to get a protein, a clean, high quality protein and some of the best lettuce I've ever had, but I'm a little biased (laughs) um, to do that out of a, a, a one system is, uh, you know, I think it's, it, it is part of our future. Yeah. Um, I've hedged my bets on it, but as well, you know, I am not like an apocalyptic guy. Right. I just think it's the right way to do it considering all of the things. Yeah. You know, to get, yeah. I kind of look at it almost like in a weird way that, yeah, I'm not an apocalyptic guy either. I, when you were talking about the pandemic earlier, I just kept thinking, especially with regards to food Mm -hmm. where I was like, Oh, if this is the apocalypse, I've been eating really well. Like (laughs) the quality of steak in my house went up dramatically. I was like, I'd like the world to end more frequently, but (laughs) you know, jokes aside to me, this is the sort of thing that's moving the needle back in the other direction, Mm -hmm. or at least I'm hoping it is right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like one of those things where you're like, Oh, it's like environmentally conscious, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not creating waste the Mm -hmm. way that we probably have been for centuries, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's just, it's, I don't know. It's interesting to me to see this thing that what I find fascinating about it is that it is this mixture of like, modern and futuristic technology with arguably one of the oldest practices in existence. And this like intersection between the two is, it's fascinating to me. I mean, that was what, when AJ was like, Hey, do you want to talk with them? I'm like, absolutely. I do. You know, it's, it's a, it's about balance. It's everything we need on tech and control to do it as naturally as possible. I think it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful intersection. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you said, I mean, to be able to do this, in a small greenhouse, hopefully someday, 
um, do some more of it. Mm-hmm. But to be able to do this in, in a closed loop system with zero waste output, I forgot right. to say that before we. I, so I was I was hope I was yeah. I wasn't sure, but I, I you know. So so to to talk about that a little bit, um, you know, inherently with aquaponics, you do build up raw, heavy solids of the fish waste. Um, and you've got to do something with them. So that being said, um, we use a system that filters the heavy solids out of our water. Mm-hmm. Um, over about a 24-hour period, we're left with clean, sediment-free, but still very nutrient-dense water. Okay. And so every time we run one of our clarifiers out of the system, uh, clarifiers, the tank that um, helps separate the heavy solids from the fine and medium solids. Mm-hmm. Um, every time we run one of those and, and filter it, we're returning like 400 plus gallons back to our system. So right away, we're not flushing all of that wastewater. Oh, okay. Then we're left with this, um, you know, all the sediment that we filtered out. And we use a little bit of the water that's left in that tank to backwash that filter down to another area of our greenhouse. Oh. So we send those down to two buried tanks, and those tanks are on a timer that feed up into um, grow beds. So the, it's kind of a dead end of our system. Okay. It's not in the closed loop. Um, so we send that waste byproduct, essentially, that, that every aquaponic farm is going to have. Um, we send it in to grow our kale, our chard, which both are available here. Hey, um, <laughs> store plug. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as well as some of our edible flowers, some herbs, um, but it's all extra production. Yeah. You know, it is a byproduct of our process, but it never leaves our greenhouse. I love that. So it's it's nice to be able to, you know, be able to say that, be able to really, you know, and, back and, that up yeah. and do it. Um, not create any waste, but of course we've got four big beds of extra vegetables, you know, and those beds operate a little bit differently than the the rest of the system. Um, they grow more long-term plants instead of like a rotational crop like lettuce. I was going to say, what kind of stuff's in that, in those beds, for example? It's a, it's a a hydrogen. So it's expanded clay pebbles. Oh. Um, and it's kind of like a soil substitute. That's essentially okay. its purpose. Um, so we just, we have those two buried tanks that receive all of the filtered waste mm-hmm. and uh, pumps, pump it up into those four beds, pump it through the top of the beds. They drain to the bottom and go back right into those two tanks. So it's just on a, another little circular loop right. as the water travels. Um, and they're teeming with bacteria. Um, the good bacteria. Right. I haven't even said that word yet, but uh, I should explain <laughs> what that yeah, means. Yeah, please do. No, what do you mean? So well, what would be the difference between good and bad? So, well, aquaponics has three living elements. So you've got fish, plants, and bacteria. Okay. The bacteria are all beneficial uh, nitrifying bacteria. The same types of bacteria and, and arguably the same bacteria that are in every body of water on our planet, rivers, lakes, streams, even the ocean. Um, so those bacteria nitrify and process aquatic waste from, from other aquatic animals. And they turn that from, uh, uh, an ammonia rich, um, waste to nitrite. And then a, a second, secondary stage of bacteria turn it from nitrite into nitrate. Okay. 
and nitrate is readily available nitrogen for the plants to absorb. Uh-huh. All right. So as the fish, we, we feed the fish. The fish create their waste. It flows through mineralization tanks, you know, biofiltration tanks. Okay. Where essentially we make the environment perfect for the bacteria to thrive. Interesting. It's kind of like our processing center, like our big battery. Yeah. And they do their thing as that as the fine and medium solids flow through. Um, then the water hits a degassing tank to off-gas some of the gases that build up in the water that can become toxic to uh, the bacteria, the plants, or the fish. Interesting. And then um, something I would have never even thought about too. It's yeah, the the design that's gone into the system that we have is, I think it's incredible. The more you describe it, the more I'm like, I can't literally can't wait to check this out. Yeah, I'm, I look forward to that. This is something I know, and you know, and I, one of my favorite parts about the job is that I don't know anything, and <laughs> I'm just like, oh my gosh, all these things I kind of just not even took for granted, right? But like I just knew so little about that I was like, oh, that's an insurmountable task. But then it, it, you know, having someone like you come in here and break it down, I'm like, oh, that's amazing. So I'm hoping everybody listening is feeling the same way I am, I, where, where I'm just nodding so for like 45 minutes at a time. <laughs> well, and that that next stage makes the last step of sense and that is as the uh, bacteria process that that waste down into an absorbable nutrient the plants as they're growing they're absorbing that nitrogen it's a full spectrum of macro and micronutrients that Mm -hmm. eventually with a mature aquaponic system build up and and really you know live for the rest of the life of the system yeah but the, the plants then are, in effect, filtering the water. So as their roots exactly. are dangling on, you know, um, styrofoam boards and deep water culture, mm-hmm. um, right before the water's about to return to the sump tank, the lowest point in the system, the plants have taken everything they need out of it, uh, and it goes through um, some heating, a couple sensors, uh, right back up to the fish tank. So That's so cool. From the fish tanks to the sump tank, so the fish tanks through the biofiltration, through degassing, through deep water culture, all the plants to the sump tank, it's all gravity fed. It's all oh. perfectly cascading down and then hits that sump tank where our single water pump for the entire deep water culture system is. And it returns it right back up to the fish, aerating throughout the entire system. Um, yeah, rinse, wash, repeat. Yeah, it works. That's great. And it was funny because I was going to ask you about like it, what what's the current like. You know, is it like in my head? Part of me is like, okay, so like water's like rushing through, but it does. It sounds like it's a pretty like not a trickle either. I know it's, I don't know enough a, water terminology. Yeah, but it's a it's a steady flow. Um, there is a rate of turnover um, that we try to maintain for system health. It's what the system was designed to to, right. to move. Um, but it, it you know it's it's not aggressive. Uh, but it is, it is moving. I mean, those pumps are moving water 24 seven and they have been for two and a half years. That's amazing. That's amazing. So what's the future? Like what's the, are, are we sticking predominantly to lettuce, just the lettuce and the fish? Or I mean, are you trying to grow different crops as well? I mean, yeah, you know, you know, so the first greenhouse, the one we're in right now, you know, we started, we had some downtime in the pandemic, right? <laughs> I'm so, no, I've heard nothing of this. <laughs> so we we you know for better or worse, we got to um, experiment with some different crops and you know kind of test a couple different things out. Some were good, some were bad, some were 
hey, we shouldn't do this this way, so we got to wait. Um, but it was a, it was an awesome opportunity to kind of test some products in the market, you know, for Cincinnati and and figure out, you know, what what other products are priced at, how we can grow it similarly at a similar price point. Um, and, you know, we just did a lot of R&D. I kind of found myself doing that even just kind of looking back, didn't realize I was doing that. Mm-hmm. But trying to get, be creative, I was trying to solve problems on, you know, nobody's shopping at grocery, nobody's restaurants are gone. Right. Like, what, you know, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. How do I sell this? So trying to grow different products, um, it is really the first greenhouse has kind of become uh, a little bit, well, it did become a little bit of a, a like a test. Yeah. Um, a little bit of R&D on these different different crops. So uh, we have big time scaled things back in terms of all the different varieties we were growing and right. trying. And, you know, um, speaking of the future, we, we've, we've got some ideas on what else we want to grow. And some of them we have trialed. Um, some of them we've trialed and they were so good, but we're just not set up to grow them right now. Sure. Um, so I, I'd love to see some more, um, a lot more plants out there, um, more controlled growing space. Um, and I, I'd love to see some new sp- uh, fish species too. Oh, that'd be um, exciting as well. Yeah. So tilapia end up being just the, the most forgiving fish probably. That's why it is commonly farmed in aquaculture. Sure. Common for aquaponic systems. Um, so with that, you know, we've we've learned with one of the easier fish to raise, but we've raised it to such a high quality. So I don't think we're going to ever stop that. Yeah. Um, or, well, so, so on the other fish thing, yeah. So one of the things, I don't think we'll ever stop doing tilapia because we've just kind of proven something different. Um, to the point that I was really, I was really, um, kind of excited to approach this higher quality fish with an uphill battle of trying to change people's minds. Yeah. But in that, looking at uh, the, the, the fish industry, uh, Chilean sea bass is not a real fish. It's a Patagonian toothfish. Oh. And I think it actually comes from Jurassic Park. No kidding. Mm-hmm. We'll have to look that up. After uh, yeah, the show. no, that's cool. Or but, well, maybe we just put it on the audience and said, "Mike, how about you all email us <laughs> podcast at junglegyms.com. Let me know if we're wrong about that. But that sounds about. I mean, Michael Creighton created a lot of stuff in his day, so you would never be surprised. So it was a it was a fish that wasn't fished. People mm-hmm. didn't eat it. It wasn't on menus, but it was a very good quality protein, good meat, good yeah. fish. So uh, they ended up rebranding it as Chilean sea bass. That's hilarious. And now it's an overfished fish on a lot of menus. Right. Um, so I kind of took a page out of that book and said, well, how can I talk about this, this meat without lying? And um, I came up with freshwater snapper. Oh, I love it. And the reason I'm not sure if this should be included or not is because uh, really, at the end of the day, I don't think there's any legality to it. Yeah. Because um, once it's on once it's on a menu, the chef can call it whatever he wants. Right. When he receives it from the grower, it's got to say tilapia. Yeah. So it, it's a. It, I I had a couple of chefs 
buy into this idea and test it out. That's a great idea. Excuse me. And um, yeah, it, it went over really well. It was, I was kind of leaving that out of the story before about, you know, people try a, a crudo from a fancy restaurant and, and they find out later on that it, it's actually was tilapia. They would have never thought it. No. So why, why downplay the, the quality of what we're able to produce? Um, why not call it something more similar to what it really tastes like? And um, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, again, like at the end of the day, like you said, the chef's really ultimately making that final call. Right. So, and I just, I'm just kind of an honest person. So a I little bit of it, that. I, like, I'm kind of like whispering a little bit here. Cause I no, yeah. but that's, that's <laughs> really interesting now. Oh, now the question is, so if somebody's <laughs> listening to this in the future, maybe and they hear me go, well, that's, I like that though. I mean, that well, look again, I know we joked about this off air, but people are here for the honesty. They want to know that stuff. But the thing is from my end, I like this bit of the story because mm -hmm. perception is so much of reality. Right. Mm -hmm. And the problem in my opinion would be that someone would pass up on a good opportunity because of the word tilapia, for example. And exactly. that's just unfortunately how humans are wired. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if we can, you know, push it a little bit in one direction and open their minds a little bit, what's wrong with that? I can, you know, yeah, yeah. it's not like a, it's like of all of the lies we could tell in life, <laughs> that's really not on the list. In I, my opinion, I, I hope everybody else thinks so too. Cause well, it just, we'll you know, if, they, if we air the sport and they light up your social, like, oh, freshwater snapper, huh? Fucking liar. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, instantly, I mean, snapper is like one of my favorite fish to eat. So like instantly it triggers that. I think of the first time I tried it, I think of all, it like it literally triggers all those food memories. Yeah. So why not? Well, you know, and uh, it's not like you guys so, wouldn't otherwise be transparent, you know? Exactly. I mean, we, we can't be more transparent. Yeah. And it's just that name. Yeah. And it's the, the, the unfortunate circumstances of how the, that species has kind of been taken advantage of. So you know, well, it's like so many other things. Every, people get really caught up in titles in like the worst ways. Mm -hmm. You know, when you, I don't know, it's like I run into this all the time. Like, oh, you're a filmmaker? I'm a filmmaker too. I'm like, no, you shot videos of yourself talking to your cell phone in the bathroom. I think, <laughs> like, I don't want to discredit what you're doing, but I don't know that that's exactly the same thing, you know? So whatever, yeah. play yeah. to your strengths. I love this. Well, and uh, I, I want to try to make an easy transition for sure. you. Um, so I don't think we'll ever stop doing t tilapia. And one of the interesting parts of how clean this fish is, is when you fillet it, you get done with the fillet, rinse it off just like you would anything else. And you can almost lay that fillet against your face and it doesn't smell fishy. It just smells clean. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that turns a lot of people off from fish It's like too fishy of a flavor yeah, you know, too strong of of a, of a flavor, you know, like with certain game animals, you know, gaminess and right. and wild duck and venison and whatever else, and um, it doesn't have that. So, you know, some people may look at that as I, the best way to look at that is it's a clean slate, yeah, it's a incredibly fresh and and responsibly raised protein, and it's it's a an empty canvas to cook a fantastic dish with right something that, again that some people may have been turned off by solely because of the title and what one of 
my favorite things now. Mm-hmm. Um, favorite way to cook our fish is whole. Okay. Over fire. Oh yeah. So we we come to your house. <laughs> we'll, we'll throw one on when you come out. That's Seriously. awesome. Yeah, okay. we built a little uh, fire pit out back. Just That's to, so cool. Just to throw on well anything. But, yeah, right. But we'll we'll gut them, descale them, and then I'll usually butterfly it. Oh yeah. Season it in the inside and out, and uh, our fish actually like to be cooked a little longer. They're super moist. Okay. So I'll I'll put it like you know actually 20 minutes aside wow okay on, on some decent heat yeah and then at the very end stoke the fire up and open it up flesh down and just give it a nice char yeah and you pull it out and pick it you, you get no loss of course because you're going to pick it clean but of course it's almost like fresh crab oh man it's, yeah that sounds it's, amazing it's weird yeah but that's so cool it's so cool but, but i, I think just that keeps didn't time. yo i'm sorry yeah i just Nobody ever told me I was, you know, by doing this, we'd, that's not the right way to say that, but I just didn't know what we were going to be able to do. I didn't know what I was going to be able to do. Yeah. And I just knew that, I knew that it was worth putting everything into and, you know, giving it, you know, just every step of the way, making, trying to make the right decision, the decision, responsible decision, um, and that's kind of become our tagline is rooted in responsibility because we, we really don't, you know, f- we don't cut corners. We work really hard. We've got long days in the greenhouse. The fish are fed. They got to eat every day. Yeah. So it's seven days a week. But when, when we get feedback from customers at Jungle Gyms, from, from customers a- around Cincinnati, um, often at farmer's markets, um, it, it makes it just that much more worth it. Were we one of the first places that you got into, by the way? You guys were very early. Um, it tends to be on brand for us. I was got thus my curiosity. You know, you are jungle is our biggest retailer and the only retailer that carries fish and our greens. Yeah. Um, I feel like I would never see a setup like we've got for you guys here in another store. So that's, no, and, I love it. Yeah. And, and we, we, I trialed that idea at some other places, but, um, you know, for one reason or, or another, it just didn't work out. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I still pinch myself sometimes walking past that display thinking, you know, gosh, that stuff's gorgeous. Oh, right. That's, that's root house. Well, and, again, it, I think it's a tie. This is a great tie in here where it is. It's like you found a passion, you, ran at it and now you're creating these products that literally you can taste a difference because you cared you know and that to me is like the most important reason i'm doing this show ultimately is that like people need to know about this stuff you know and i think that there's a growing interest again culturally Mm -hmm. for this kind of thing so i applaud your work i think it's such a cool thing that you're doing i think i mean from every aspect and it sounds like you know again my knowledge is somewhat limited but it sounds like you've really taken a very well-rounded and like you know looked at this from all kinds of angles to make sure you're doing it right in every aspect i think that's so cool thank you i mean there's there's still a ton to learn and hopefully some opportunity to grow soon um but I was just kind of, I was born with this kind of engineering mind mm-hmm. and growing up, taking apart everything in the house. And, you know, if it, if it was broken, I was certainly taking it apart. My yeah. parents weren't too happy when I was taking apart things that worked. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> but, I remember those conversations. <laughs> yeah. You know, pulling out motors and, you know, little RC cars that would break and yeah, I'm like just fiddling with stuff. Yeah. And um, that greenhouse is like a culmination of a lot of that just hobbying. Um, Cause I poured every inch of concrete myself. No kidding. I didn't hire contractors to do the plumbing and you know uh, many of the different things in there. I I wired most of the electric. I I did all the plumbing, all the grading, all the install of the system. And I've had people come in and say, "Well, you know who built this?" Or, "Oh, I assume this person did that for you." Yeah. It's like, well, no. Right. Just ask next time. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your assumptions, but right, not really. Um, but you know, it, it's it is another um, thing that I'm proud of. Um, because I loved the, the time of building the place. Um, but most importantly, it works. Yeah, right. <laughs> Having not done it before. Um, so I, I, you know, I like to, I like to approach things without too much outside input. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, I've, I didn't go to school for this. Yeah, I feel like that has maybe given me some opportunity to not have the bad habits of yeah. certain people that would have been teaching me or, or, right. or certain lessons along the way. Um, was really able to approach this with like no preconceived, you know, conditions of it's got to be this way or you know it can't be that way. Really, just you know, clean slate, open slate. What what's the best way? You know, it might not be the easiest. Sure. And what we do is not the easiest, but it makes it worth it when we. Right. It sounds like the right way, ultimately, if that may, you know, and mm -hmm. when you put the italics on it. <laughs> right. The, the air quotes. Right. You know, no, not the easiest, not the cheapest, but I think it's the right way. Well, I mean, the product, I think, speaks for itself. Thank you. Which is weird that your product speaks at all. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a a, a, a byproduct of going to the fish concerts. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> Mike, I had a great time. This is amazing. Thank you so much for coming in. Absolutely. I really look forward to coming out sometime. We'll set something up. Maybe I'll yeah. bring like the like one of the video guys with me, too, and Please follow do. me around with the camera. I think that'd be a lot of fun, actually. That'd be awesome. So, that'd be awesome. Teach me so, to farm. Absolutely. You have five hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, thank you for having me on. Anytime. Incredible if you ever have anything coming up, I offer this to everybody, but like, if you ever have anything coming up or something you want to push or whatever, just get in touch with me. I'll make it happen. Awesome. You know, I, I just say to all the listeners today, give us a shot. You will notice a difference in flavor and shelf life. Um, you know, we've got a couple new products with you right now. Uh, one of them being wheatgrass. I just saw the display go up yesterday, or maybe, yes, well, I just saw it yesterday. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. it was there beforehand, but. Well, it's, it's almost, I mean, it was just last week. Uh, we've been trialing it for a little while. Um, lots of different uses for it, even even for pets. Um, really? Mm-hmm. Oh. I may have sold more to cats than I have to humans for juicing at this point. Amazing. Which I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of a... a an interesting, interesting discovery. My cat doesn't but. juice, but she does do her own taxes. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> Turbo. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, she's like a pro level now too. So she's like, you know, pays a little extra, but I don't <laughs> think she's trying to get audited. <laughs> well, that plus uh, the fish, I think, you know, everybody should give it a try and try something different. I'm in. 
I'm way in. I'm really excited about that too. Just the description. I'm just going to replay the part of you describing the cooking process over an open <laughs> flame uh, when I'm trying to go to sleep at night and not be hungry. So, well, and, and, and just to revisit <laughs> real fast that yeah, you know, it's just very unique to have this fresh a fish in Ohio. Oh yeah, let alone in Cincinnati. So, so to to raise them as as well as we aim to mm-hmm. um, and maintain that to be able to go to a place any place. But jungle gyms, to see the fish swimming, it was delivered a day or two ago. Yeah. And they're going to net it out live and fillet it for you or process it however you want at no additional charge. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. And, you know. Where else in the world can you do that, really, you know? With the quality of the seafood department at both of the stores, I don't think it's matched. Yeah. Um, But the produce as well. I mean, that is, you know, our main product. But the fish have come way have, have, have really come into you know um a point of priority for us because we didn't know what we were doing yeah at first we didn't know that we were growing something very different um so yeah please give us a shot i'm seconding man i'm <laughs> i have i don't think i've been this excited about eating fish since well really since i talked to ross but prior to that <laughs> never you know yeah. uh, oh man this is gonna be exciting well, I look forward to it. Thanks again, Mike. I really appreciate Absolutely. it, man. Absolutely. We'll yeah. see you at the I farm. I wish you the best. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> I'll wear my worst overalls. Well, in the hat. Oh, I absolutely will. We'll wear that. We'll wear the hat. I don't know how to speak. It's fine. Even Thank you, Mark. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Seriously. Thanks. Tell me that wasn't awesome. Tell me that you don't want to go to their grow operation and check it out in person. Wild stuff. I love all the sustainability. I love what they're pardon the expression, but growing here. And it's all in our backyard, really. I mean, not literally. I I actually have no ownership of said backyard, uh, but they do let me play out there. Uh, But once again, your people here at Jungle Gyms, we're always on the cutting edge of this stuff. And like I said earlier, because we're on that cutting edge, you all get to test this kind of cool new food stuff out first. It's good stuff. You're welcome. I just imagined you all said thank you at the end of that sentence. Okay, we got a little more here for you today. So now it's time to uh, geek out with me and Michael B about some upcoming wine events and just a little bit about how we think European sports cars are beautiful. Michael, what do we have coming up? We talked a little bit about nothing yet, actually, but... (laughs) (laughs) It's an episode of Seinfeld. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, don't get me started. I love Seinfeld, too. Mm -hmm. So, and something, well, I'm waiting for Volat to call back one more time because I know he also loves Seinfeld. Yeah. That's awesome. What's uh, what's going on in your department? Or is it the it's like the end of the year closeouts? Well, no. Yeah, actually, the fun thing is the end of the year closeouts is over. Now it's beginning the new year, and we're Ooh. doing our wine tastings again on Wednesday night to back that glass up from five to eight. Okay. At both locations, Fairfield and Eastgate, we're doing a walkabout. Uh, the second Saturday of the month is going to be at Eastgate. The third Saturday is going to be at Fairfield. So before you go any further, what? are the walkabouts what are the walkabouts? explain it like i'm five <laughs> well it's a fine wine walkabout it's it's an opportunity <laughs> to try 30 to 50 wines depending okay. on how many tables we have set up it's cool. 20 dollars for a bracelet and you get unlimited samples from one o'clock to three o'clock at fairfield and uh, the show offs at eastgate are doing one o'clock to four o'clock because they have a big dedicated space for it and True. you know the jxc center over there but oh yeah i forgot about that yeah it's a lot of fun i mean it's an opportunity to try a lot of good wine side by side um the quality of the wines is 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 very high it's not like you know jug wine or anything 
and we have uh, <laughs> wine professionals uh, from each of the wholesalers pouring their wine. They're very intimately um, uh, familiar with them. Yeah, I don't know if that's that a good thing. Yeah, intimately familiar. Yeah, yeah. So um, long as they don't make it weird with the wines they pour and all the other wines. Um, that's a funny thing, actually. All the reps always want a glass so they can try all the other wines. Just like, well, I mean, uh, I'd like to see what that's like. It's like, yeah, yeah, drink for two hours. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, actually, that does sound like a good time. I mean, honestly, I know we're not doing a jug of wine one, but I'd go to that version of this event too. <laughs> you know, if it's like ten dollars. <laughs> uh, people, people, you know, they're. Um, Sometimes people want to be educated, and sometimes they want to be entertained, and sometimes they want to get looped. So right. It just depends on what they want. And at this, it sounds like you could do all three. Yeah, exactly right. I love that. I think that's one of those, it's very jungle of you. Know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like that's one of the best parts about these events. I've been wanting to do one of the wine walkabouts, and I just haven't made time to do it realistically. You know, I live far away, so it's always like, oh, I want to oh, do that. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, I've commuted a lot Nice this move, Slacker. That's good. Yeah, yeah. right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just trying to half-ass everything. Uh, I never heard of Uber. I don't know what that could possibly be. I live too far away. Oh, All my right. gosh. Uber? I, can't, I don't even want to think about what my Uber charge would look like to get up here. I'm about to... I'm about to door dash myself to the, <laughs> to the jungle over the weekend. <laughs> that's amazing. And I know I cut you off in the middle of uh, upcoming things, too. No, so no, no. Like, I mean, that's, that's it. We got the pint nights going again on Fridays okay. at um, 5 o'clock. Both locations. We'll pick a, a, a regional or local brewery. And um, you get a, a dedicated pint glass from that supplier if you're one of the first 5,000 people. However many glasses we have. Sure. There's, there's no... Uh, preset number on it it just depends on what they bring in I guess. exactly do you get a glass with the back that glass up too is that a thing well you have to buy that glass okay. it's four dollars but it's actually cost us more than four dollars we're just trying to get uh people you know into the spirit of the thing and it's a very nice etched uh crystal stem actually it's that's yeah, super it's cool. nice yeah i had no idea yeah see look at me asking all the right questions this year yeah. already off to a good start any uh, anything fun that's coming up in the next walkabout that I should be uh, overtly excited about? And by I, I mean the wine experts listening. Well, not on this one, but it'll, I mean there'll be good wines and everything. But in yeah. February, we're going to do a special sake Saturday. We're going to do sake to me Saturday, oh, and nothing so but sake. Oh, really? So, ginjo, daiginjo, junmai daiginjo, yokozun. I mean all kinds, every kind of sake from you know inexpensive serve it warm to you know high-end jumai daiginjo serve lightly chilled and everything in between that's really cool are you uh would you consider yourself a sake expert not an expert but i have some training in it cool. um we had a, a little a little class that uh a couple of us went to from each location uh, sponsored by the wine spirit education trust which is a good good organization um yeah there are um, there are a couple of people in town who are like true, like 20 years of sake experts. So we'll see if I can get one of them to come in for that. But, you know, um, it'll be a great time because sake is really hot right now. Yeah. Uh, just like soju, which is like Korean spirit. Yes, I love soju. So, you know, we might have a, a sake to me sake with soju social. Who can say? I would be all, I mean, I love, I'm very curious to learn about the sake, uh, but 
man, I would be so excited about a soju social. Soju is that like dangerous, delicious beverage that I'm glad I didn't know about when I was like 19. Yeah, it's really, I mean, 20% alcohol and, you know, it's like goes down like water. It really does. I made a joke once. I had a friend who was, had been teaching over in South Korea for a while and he came back and he was the one that introduced me to it. And I just remember I kept calling it carbon monoxide. And he's like, why? I was like, it's almost odorless and flavorless. <laughs> and I was like, and if I keep going, I'm going to die. You know, uh, <laughs> it's really good though. Yeah, now they have like 20 flavors. They have, you know, the original, which is, you know, Rice, kind of like vodka, odorless, colorless, and yeah. rip your liver out. And yep. then, <laughs> you know, lots of, lots of nice flavors. And uh, we have like the largest selection of, of sake and soju in, in uh, the area, not just like Cincinnati, but like the Midwest. I would assume, yeah. I mean, because we have aisles of it, and I, mm-hmm. I've i never seen that kind of access anywhere. Yeah. Again, one of those is very jungle, you know? <laughs> I'm just like, how many times I can work that in? <laughs> well, you know, everything here is very jungle, especially jungle. Jungle. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. He really yeah. epitomizes his name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so amazing. Let's see. We got that. Um, dun, 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 dun. I don't think there's anything else. Uh, we don't have any festivals upcoming right now. Uh, we'll wait and see what happens with. With COVID and everything, I mean that's those decisions will be made upstairs depending on what's going on. But sure. you know, when the time is right, we'll be ready. I can't wait for that. I you know, and one of my favorite things as a customer before I became an employee was all the festivals, and then obviously I just enjoy doing things is what it comes down to. And the idea that like everything, well, I was telling you before the show is like my travel plans got canceled. You know, it's like every time I get excited about existing again i'm like oh just kidding we're still in the throes of this pandemic and who knows when the end is in sight but yeah i I love that attitude though that it's we're ready when it happens yeah maybe we just need to keep coming up with these kind of like smaller scale events that are sort of uh how should i say uh exclude i think i'm thinking of spinal tap right like Mm -hmm. our our uh it's more (laughs) exclusive now you know what i mean (laughs) now we're thinking about turning it up to 11 though yeah we should i mean don't we always here that feels very jungle of us you know do it big baby that's awesome oh i'm i'm excited i'm gonna come i'll come to one of the wine walkabouts that'll be good all right we'll talk is cheap so we'll see on saturday (laughs) it's this saturday right it's it's this saturday at um Eastgate. Eastgate. What's the date today? I have no idea. The date that we're recording this on is January 5th. Okay, so... I think that would make it the 8th at Eastgate. Yeah, second Saturday, and then the third Saturday is the the 15th. Perfect. Okay, and that's yeah, the so one that's here. the one that's here. Cool. All right, that actually works out a lot better for me scheduling too. So I'm on board. Oh, that's why we planned it that way. Thank you. No, no, no. I, one of my favorite things is how you all have bent <laughs> everyone else's schedules to fit me in. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so last time I was on, I mentioned that my son played hockey when he was growing up. Yes. And the guy that been created, one of the guys that been created, plays adult hockey. Yeah. He's like, we need to get your son on our team. We, we, so we cool. should really get, he's like a little busy, you know, sure. But, hey, um, that would be good. I'd like to see him play hockey one more time. That'd be just, amazing. You know, it, it'd be, it'd be cool. I'd be all right with it. Yeah. And we also talked about formula one Oh, and uh, Max Verstappen did end up winning the championship. Congratulations, Max. Yep. 
Yep. Sorry, Lewis. Yeah. I, and I'm sitting here like nodding my head. Like I know exactly yeah. what that means, but <laughs> so, you know, let's, let's dive a little into that because I think that's something I want to be interested in. As I mentioned last time you were on. Well, the funny thing is after, after the season was over, I've been following formula one since I was like literally 10 years old mm-hmm. and there's never been any interest in America in it. I mean, in, in 1977, 78, Mario Andretti won the championship for Lotus. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was it. Before that, in 1961, Phil Hill won the championship for Ferrari. Right. Those are the two Americans in the last 60 years. And Max isn't an American, but he's got an American attitude. And he's, he's, the, fastest, he's the fastest guy since Ayrton Senna. Wow. So it's, it's fun to watch him. Uh, and he drives for Red Bull. What could be, you know? Yeah, that sounds that's pretty on brand for yeah. us. Is, uh, wh- why do you think there is no interest in it in the states? Well, that's just it. All of a sudden, there is now Formula One because there's a series on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Like you know, they have Hard Knocks for football. Yeah. So they did like a Hard Knocks kind of thing uh, during the year on Netflix, oh. and and people are like, yeah, this Formula One thing is pretty cool. It's like, hey, poser. All right. right. But still. <laughs> That's how I feel with all of nerd culture becoming like pop culture now. Is mm-hmm. I was like, I was there in the trenches when people used to beat us up. I was okay? reading comic books from day one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I spent a lot of years without friends only to see the people who made fun of me sit behind me at the Avengers movies, you know? <laughs> That's so cool. I, I love that it is kind of getting a little more popularity. And, you know, I had a friend who spent a lot of time in Europe and he was my gateway drug, for lack of a better descriptor on the Formula One end because I was so curious about it because it is one of those things that to me is like, again, I know nothing, right? But it was just interesting. I like I like virtuosity in all respects, right? So like if you talk to me about the musicians or artists I love, they're all people who excel almost to an absurd level in certain ways, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm not a big sports guy, but watching the Michael Jordan documentary that they put on Netflix last year, I was like, oh, I like this crazy person, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and so I'm, I'm finding that now, and, I, and I'm kind of loving the idea that you're taking one of humankind's most natural, like, forms of excitement, right? Speed and like mm-hmm. the thrill that comes with that, and then also combining that with the fact that it is an art, right? You know what I oh, mean? Oh, yeah. There's, there's, there's tons of skill involved, reflexes, uh, great muscle memory. Mm-hmm. And these guys, I mean, they're cornering it at five Gs. You know, people say, well, they're not real athletes. You put somebody who's not used to it in one of those cars, and they, they last about 30 seconds, and they're, like, done. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, so I literally, you'll laugh, but last weekend I was with someone, and uh, she and I were watching. <laughs> we were watching uh, astronaut training in the uh, – high G simulators. And it's crazy to think that these drivers are pulling in some regards, astronaut level, like G force or having that exerted on them just by Mm -hmm. turning a corner Yeah, for two hours. Right. Repeatedly. And it's not affect, you know, I mean, I'm sure it is affecting them maybe long-term, but like that's, that's an interesting thing because a lot of the guys, it's like they were uh, at the racetrack down in Austin, Texas for Mm -hmm. the American uh, formula one race. And it's a fairly new track, but it was built on like really sandy soil, and there are like bumps on the main straight, which is about a mile long. Yeah, and at 200 miles an hour with the downforce these cars generate, those bumps are like you know just getting hit in the head with a sledgehammer Ugh. repeatedly. Yeah, and they would get out and they would like have double blurred vision, but they're still like driving the car, you know, perfectly. That's amazing. It is. Can you imagine that? 
I'd like to. Uh, I'd like yeah. to imagine it. Oh, so I feel like a future episode yeah. is sign, us. Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, you know, you. I see every so often ants for those, like, go drive a Lamborghini on a racetrack kind of a thing. Do they do that for Formula cars? Or well, they like don't that? do it for... There's, there's actually an older Formula One car that a company put a back seat in, and you can't drive it, but... You know, a, a retired Formula One driver sits in the front and you get strapped into the back. And, you know, it's uh, a pretty severe experience. I bet. Have you done it before? No, no. Okay. So I've, that's um, what we I've do. driven like shifter carts, which okay. do about 140. Okay. And um, there's actually a uh, on track experience down at Kentucky Speedway really? where you can do like five laps in a, a Ferrari, uh, a Lamborghini, or a McLaren. Uh, P1. Oh my gosh. And those I'd are like 200 to. mile an hour supercars. Yeah. And you can do like five laps and I don't know if they tune it down a little bit or what, but I would hey. assume they have to, because I feel like I just, you know what I mean? Like I consider myself a good driver with good reflexes, but not professional. You know what I mean? Like yeah. my track record's great, but <laughs> I can't imagine getting behind. I, like I would love to get behind that P1. I don't know what I would do with it. You know? Well, you know, uh, Probably hit the wall, but that's okay. Right. I mean, you know, they're insured for it. So that's just the way it is. I mean, it's hard to react to something like that. And a Formula One car is really scary because the faster it goes, the more downforce it generates. Mm -hmm. You can't drive it at low speed because you'll just you'll spin right off. Right. You have to drive it at a really high speed. Otherwise, uh -huh. the tires don't get warm enough to work and it doesn't generate any downforce. And all of a sudden, you know, your 800 horsepower uh, go kart is in the gravel or up against the wall. <laughs> you can't drive it at 100 miles an hour. you got to go 150. Right. That's amazing. What, a, what an exhilarating sounding experience. How did you get into it? Uh, well, the, the G-rated version is I found a box of uh, Road and Track magazines in the basement when I was about 10 years old, and they had <laughs> Formula One race reports in them. I won't tell you what's in the box next to it. Oh, okay. So I, I think I'm familiar with a similar box I may have found at some point in my youth as well. Yeah. But there was, uh, I mean, it was this, I remember looking at a Volkswagen when I was about nine or 10 years old and thinking, how ugly is that? Yeah. I, you know, it was the first time I realized that cars could be beautiful or cars could be like not beautiful. Yeah. And when I saw a picture of a Ferrari 275 GTB. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Oh, gosh. The classic Italian sports cars, and really, uh, like, a lot of the European ones, too. I was always a Porsche guy, and I'm just, like, the lines. I mean, it really is, you know, it's one of those things that I can imagine somebody listening to us talking about this and kind of snickering to themselves because we're saying that. But it, 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 maybe this is, again, one of those things where I'm like, it's a work of art. It, it truly is a work of art. So if it you view, if you automotive sculpture, yeah, exactly. And I had, this is funny. I was looking at some very expensive guitars yesterday and I had the same, almost this exact same conversation where I'm like, this is a functional piece of art that I won't necessarily damage in light use and has incredible resale value if things go horribly wrong. But in the meantime, it's something I want to stare at i want my eyes to go along the lines of the car and envision you know what i mean and mm -hmm. i think oh go ahead no you said you've mentioned italian cars the funny thing is i think the most one of the most beautiful italian cars ever is the 1963 ferrari 250 gto okay i'm and, looking it up and that particular car there are 39 of them in the world and they go at auction anywhere from 40 million dollars up but 
uh, Enzo Ferrari, he loved that car, but he thought the most beautiful car in the world was the Jaguar E-Type, which is kind of a British version of that. It has like, you know, the long hood. Yep. Uh, very low to the ground. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, I think that Italian style really comes through. I, you know, very, very beautiful from every angle. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, and it is. And I, as soon as I pulled up the picture, I was like, okay, it's that one, which is so dumb. <laughs> it speaks to my somewhat amateur level knowledge of this. I was like, oh, yeah, it is gorgeous. The car I mentioned before, the 275 GTB. Yeah. So I actually, I saw that car in a magazine when I was 10 years old. And Ooh, yeah, that's beautiful, too. About, oh, 1995 at the Concourse Elegance over at Alt Park. Yeah. That car, that same exact car was on display. Oh. It was the it was the alloy bodied 275 GTB4. Yeah. And just beautiful. It's like I could have got that car when I was 16 years old for $5,000. That's crazy. And uh in 1994 at the Concourse Elegance, I think the estimated value then was about four million dollars, and now it's about twelve. Insane, insane. But back then, it was just a used car. Nobody wanted it. I mean, it's right. just like it was on. Like, the, it was for sale on the back of road and track, and the, and the classified. Oh, that's so crazy to think about. And now it makes every time I hear a story like that, I'm just like, okay, what thing? What is the thing I should be picking up that maybe has more value to me in this immediate moment than it does to the world at large? But hopefully, it will turn around. You know? Yeah. Uh, do you think, is it just a scarcity thing that drove the price up ultimately? Well, it's a scarcity because um, the al- there were only four of the alloy-bodied ones. They were actually built to be, there were street cars that were built with race car bodies. I mean, a race car, you know, lighter body. Yeah. And um, I think that the real issue is that nostalgia hits at some point for everything. Right. And now we're to the point where, Five years from now, uh, Porsche won't make a gas engine car. All their cars are going to be batteries, it's electric. And crazy they, they actually, in their, in their like uh, highest-end electric car, they have a sound generator that makes car noises that are piped into the cockpit, you know, because <laughs> the car is just, like, dead silent and everything. Yeah. So they give you, like, car sound. And it's like, oh, okay. Just more video game-ish kind of stuff. Yeah, but. it's kind of weird. And like, have you driven any electric cars? Like any of the electric sports cars? I've driven a Tesla. Okay. That but, would count. You know. It's in... What What? What do you think? I think they're boring. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're fast. I mean, they go from zero to 60 in three seconds. Yeah. But um, they're not beautiful. I mean, there, there are a couple of beautiful ones now on sure. the electric side. Yeah. But, you know, they're they're just... Not fun. Yeah. You know? I liked driving it. I had fu- I did have fun driving it, you know, because you do still get that, like, intense rocket-like acceleration. I do think that, so and this is sound, and maybe this is dumb, but I kind of think what Porsche is doing by adding the sounds in, kind of brilliant, because to me, that was the thing that was so lacking in the experience. It was just like, all right, and, and we're doing 100 miles an hour suddenly, and, yeah. it, you know, unexpectedly. Which was exhilarating, but it, to do it silent was just kind of unnerving. Yeah, you know? I, it, it, there's no context when you're driving it. Exa- that's a beautiful way of putting it. And I, th- I actually think you spoke to something nice. Like, yeah, they are. a lot of them are kind of visually boring. I'm hoping that we start seeing some of these other manufacturers come in there and do 
Yeah, something interesting with it. Make it beautiful. I mean, why not style something to look like one of these beautiful old rides here and then just slap a, you know, an insane battery in it, for example. Oh, here's something interesting. The very first Tesla yeah. was actually, uh, they, they bought a Lotus um, Elise, which okay. is like the little two-seat yeah. Lotus. Yeah. And took all the mechanical stuff out and just filled it with, with uh, electric motors and batteries. And that was actually the first Tesla. No kidding. Yeah. It's, um, that was like the little Roadster It was the Tesla Roadster, but it was just a Lotus Elise with um, the Toyota four-cylinder taken out and batteries stuffed in it. That's right. Okay. And, that, and that's so funny because now I'm looking at side-by-side, side and it is hilarious how, yeah, I mean, they're, it's the exact same car. That's so funny. Well, we're going to have to do this again soon. Michael, you're always welcome here anytime. Seriously, I, re- I'm, I know I joke about it, but I really think we should go to a race or something. And No, no, I'm up it. for that. Yeah, I'd be way into it. If you hear of anything coming up, let me know. Seriously. I will definitely be at the walkabout. Okay. I'm saying that now. It's one to three. That's like perfect timing. I'll do it. Uh, I'll be at the walkabout. And I'll probably just go, oh, today's a tasting day. Today's a Wednesday. Yeah. So we're taping on a, rec- this is a release day for yeah. the show. So, um, but yeah. no. Go on jungleGyms.com uh, and look at the, the schedule for uh, Wednesday night. Can you we say that one more Camus time? Camus wines tonight and Orange Swift wines and French specialty wines. Yeah, the next four weeks is going to be a blast. Can you repeat that since I talked all over you? No, no, I can't. Sorry. <laughs> no, go, go to the junglegyms.com uh, website, and you should be able to look and see uh, upcoming events. And for Wednesday night, tonight we're doing Camus Family Wines. Um, we're going to be doing uh, more Orange Swift wines. We did that last year, and it was very popular. We'll do, uh, like... Uh, off the beaten path, French, red and white, all kinds of fun stuff. Sweet. I'm excited. No, dry, oh, dry, not it. sweet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm using the wrong terminology again. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I appreciate oh, thank it. Thank you. Susan, you're welcome anytime. Well, I suppose I'll see you all at the wine walkabout next weekend, huh? Okay, I'll probably be here for a little bit. I'll be hiding in the corner, sipping on a glass of something that's clearly too nice for someone of my amateur tasting level to be drinking. But you know what? I'm here for it. Well, you know what's up. It's the end of the episode. Another episode in the can, baby. I hope you all are having fun with me. I've got some fun stuff coming up. I love the expression fun, apparently, as I'm reading off my script here. Look, again, pulling the curtain back. I'm going to introduce you soon to a local influencer who's spreading the love about independent restaurants. I'm going to bring 50 West on to talk about the next beer in the Road to the Jungle series, and you know what? Maybe even help them pick the flavor and style for next time. And if you heard all that, you're like, what am I talking about? Go back a couple of episodes. You can check out the episode where we had 50 West come on with their first beer they did for us in this series. It's, I believe we're looking to do 12 of them in total. It's been super cool. Uh, and I've, you know, another thing I've got coming up, I've got a bunch of stuff coming up for Lunar New Year, which happens on February 1st this year. And there's going to be so much more. Let's get a little international voices happening in here. It's going to be a lot of fun. In the meantime, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, I'll see you out there in the aisles. The Jungle Gyms podcast is recorded in the WJJI studio inside Jungle Gyms International Market in Fairfield, Ohio. The Jungle Gyms podcast is produced and hosted by Mark Borison.